1: hello everyone it is me at the top of the show to let you know of all the shows i'm doing this year at the melbourne international comedy festival if you've got kids i'm doing humankind weekends at the Q courthouse 11 30 is the time nice time you can finish go and have some lunch around in queue it's a very nice area uh the show's really lovely i really like doing it the audiences who have been in perth and launceston and bendigo have all enjoyed it so come along especially if you've got kids aged between like five and nine four and ten you, you know your kids If they're smart kids and they can sit in a room and concentrate for 50 minutes and they're four years old, bring them along. They'll get it. They'll understand. Uh, Tickets are at joshearl.com.au. Also, I have the four shows at European Beer Cafe, the Don't You Know Who I Am's. They're selling very well. So if you're thinking, oh, I do want to come, I've just got to um, wait for a bit to get my tickets. Don't wait too long because the first show in particular, great lineup and also is looking close to being pretty full. So tickets are at joshiel.com.au. That's Saturdays at 3 p.m. at Morris House, which is European Beer Cafe, but they've just changed the name. So I'm also doing two shows at the Festival Club at Max Watts. So that's April 4 and April 18. April 4 is the 100% Hits Volume Pod Show, and April 18 is Don't You Know Who I Am. Uh, All international guests for the Don't You Know Who I Am. The 100% Hits, we're doing the best of the best of 97. It's gonna be a fantastic show. Yes, I know it's late, but it's school night, but it's festival, and come on, you can you can rock up on Wednesday and tell all your work colleagues why am I tired? Because I saw a great show. Anyway, tickets for all these shows can be found on my website, joshearl.com.au. Hey, big thanks to everyone who's a Patreon subscribers. You guys are the absolute best. A new episode dropped this week with Greg Larson talking Hit Machine 12. It's it's a great episode, Greg Larson. Very, very funny, and I think I may have changed his life with one of the songs I played him. He, he was a big fan of that song. And so uh, go over to patreon.com slash dykwia, um, become a $5 a month subscriber, and you can have access to that episode and hundreds of other episodes that I've got up there. That's uh, all there waiting for you, just 5 bucks a month. That's all from me. Enjoy this episode recorded with my old pal Jess Maguire talking about 100% hits volume 20 something <laughs> it's been a big week anyway here's some music hello gompies and welcome to hundreds and hits volume pod, the podcast that looks at the greatest complexion series this country has ever produced. My name is Josh and Joining me, a return guest. Last time she was on the show, it secured her a job for the ABC. This time, who knows where she'll end up. Please welcome, it's Jess McGuire, everyone. Yay.
2: Thank you, Josh. I think the answer is I'll end up in a Senate Estimates <laughs> Committee.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Now, I am... Starting this with a bit of an apology. Last week, I said that this album came out in 1997. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. It was the end of 1996. North Josh. Melbourne had just won the AFL Grand Final. I'm in year 10 at Parkins High School, about to take Serena Randall to the formal.
2: Mm, she's uh, excited.
1: And this album was playing at our leavers party while I got drunk for the first time to sub-zeros. Oh. 1996. What do you remember, Jess?
2: Oh, what do I remember about 1996? I feel like that was the year that I had an English exchange student come and stay at the house and I I knew that she was rich because she was, like, talking about going to parties with the Eaton boys and, like, Will and Harry are there, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I was like, oh, she may have money. And then years later I went down to visit her and realised just how unfathomably well off she and her friends were, and got stuck in a pub with them. They were like, "Oh, Gabriella had to go stay for her granny's hundredth birthday, you know, Gabriella Windsor. <laughs> oh. how, how was the exchange student in Australia? She was playing hockey and she put a hole in our wall, by the way, and didn't own up to mum. And mum kind of held it against her for a fair bit. Yeah, she would. I would
1: if a kid came around my house and put a hole in the wall.
2: Yeah. But we got on quite well. We both watched Friends Together, which was a hot new show of which Australia was only just beginning to grasp. And she was like massive in the UK. Yeah. And her biggest influence, and I reckon you would have spoken about this song in your last episode, was that. She pulled out a cassette tape and she said, "This song is going off in the UK." And I taped it, tape deck to tape deck, and it was "Wannabe" by the Spice Girls. Amazing! And I had first dibs on it in Australia, and was getting a, a very curious mix of like bad girl goth girls from school and over would come over, and we'd all just dance so "Yo a Tape," but we couldn't, we didn't, we couldn't work out the lyrics. That was the next thing about. Like, we were writing each other letters. What is some about it? What does ziggaziggers I mean. It was, literally I got a letter from a friend on an exchange in Italy and she sent me a letter going, by the way, Jess, you need to know, it means slam your body down and wind it all around. Because we were just looking at Scary going, what the
0: fuck? Yeah. Slam
2: your body down and wind it all around. Slam your body. And then it gets increasingly aggressive, but we had no idea what she said. Kids these days would not know what it was like to not know the lyrics of your favourite songs.
1: I know. Because my brother's ex-wife, also English, mm-hmm. comes from a bit of money as well. And the, the one time I realized that she was over living in Australia and like hanging out with Australians was when my brother was grating a carrot, like peeling a carrot, and was peeling it towards himself. Mm. And she was like, that's so fucking Australian, and grabbed it and peeled it away from her. She's like, yeah. And it was like Australia is so backwards.
2: Wow. We no. both have such great cultural touchstones with uh, the with UK. The English. With the English, we—I mean, positive side—they introduced me to "Wanna Be" by the Spice Girls. Negative side, your sister-in-law can be a little bit snide when she's instructing safety stuff in the kitchen.
1: Ex-sister-in-law, she's lovely, but just no longer in the family.
2: Well, that's why.
1: Yeah. <laughs> don't start it. off
2: on that dudder note and think you're going to last.
1: That was it. All right, we're looking at side B of volume 21. Side A, very strong. It's side so- B <laughs> is also. Pretty strong. I'm going to look at down the list and go. A bit of foreshadowing for the listeners.
2: It's pretty good, Josh. Last time you made me do this podcast, which yes, it did eventually end up being an influence in me getting a job because yes. the person that wanted to offer me the job had just listened to your podcast. The world is weird, but not that weird. People I, listen to the podcast. What are you talking about? No, no, We weird. Someone listens to a podcast, but like you know, it was like 900 kilometers away. It just felt like a very weird. Anyway. The album that we had to listen to, I, I feel like had a lot of shit on yeah. it. Right, there was a fair bit of flaccid. It was that period. I think it was like a 94 percent yeah. hits. Awful one, I swear. Like, just don't dig it. This, when you told me that it was this hundred percent hits, I can't. I just thought, what a brilliant ear for music. What, like, I it just, it's so good. This. Couple of duds, but even the duds aren't that bad at duds compared to what they could be.
1: I agree. We might start with one that might be a dud. We'll see how we go. This is the first time on the podcast, even though in '91 he had huge, huge success. But mm. this is Brian Adams and his song, The Only Thing That Looks Good On Me Is You. <laughs>
0: oh. Try it on, baby.
1: Screwing your face up at that one.
2: I remember at the time and my feelings haven't changed. I I thought it, I didn't like the horny turn for Brian yep. Adams. I think he does romantic very well.
1: Well, I, th- I found this out today. The horny turn's not new. Summer of 69 is about the sex position.
2: It's not about the no, year. it's not. Yeah, he- but he doesn't okay, but he doesn't come off horny in It it, it comes off more yeah. like. Ernest Springsteen driving down the highway last summer before we got, you know what I mean? Like, that's the, it's, it's words and its meaning might be sexual, but he doesn't have that kind of despo energy. That song makes me feel like he's like, like a divorced dad who doesn't have the kids that weekend and he's off to meet the boys and head down to the over 28s night. Like, it's just, I don't enjoy it. And yeah. I, uh, and I remember not enjoying it. As a teenager, I was like, this guy's too old to be putting that energy out, which in actual fact, he's probably like 35 when he did this.
1: Uh, this, so 96, he was born in 50. So he's almost 40.
2: I mean, yeah, to me, I was yeah. like, I might as well see my grandpa singing this song. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. The album's called 18 Till I Die. Couldn't think of anything worse than being 18.
2: It, was he post-divorce? Because everything is pointing to it. No. Uh, I don't
1: think he's ever been married. I think he's, he's, he's got uh, a long-term partner in kids now, but he was always, he? always out there, yeah. Uh, so this uh, song was nominated for the Grammy for Best Rock Performance, losing to Beck's Where It's At. Crazy that they're in the same category.
2: Yeah, but two turntables and a microphone can absolutely take down horny Brian Adams.
1: So this topped the charts in Canada, got to 19 here. It was co-written. How, how many Junos did it win? Oh, would have won at least five. Everyone wins at least five Junos, <laughs> every Canadian. Well, it was written by a man who also uh, ha- has a big, big uh, Juno collection himself, <laughs> written by a guy called Robert Mutt Lang. Oh, uh,
2: Shania's ex.
1: There you go. You know. Don't, he... you,
2: don't you stay away from her mutt. You broke her heart. You ran off with her best friend.
1: Well, yes. they He co-wrote most of her album. I think all of her album, the big one with the only one I want and all that kind of stuff. And when you hear that, you hear this and go, oh, yeah, I can see Shania doing this song.
2: 100%. I did not know it, but the second that you said it it, and I played it back in my head, I was like, oh, it's got absolute muttlang hallmarks. Down, 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 like all of it. Yep.
1: Yep. So uh, before he got with Shania, though, he also produced and wrote songs on ACDC's Highway to Hell, uh, Back in Black, produced Def Leppard, Michael Bolton. A band we're going to talk about later, The Cause, Mm -hmm. and he also (laughs) co-wrote The Mega Selling, Everything I Do, I Do It For You with Brian Adams.
2: It would have made a lot of money.
1: So much Uh, money.
2: This is, by the way, um, for anyone that can see this, it's not my cat. It's a cat I'm looking after, Loretta. She has no boundaries. I can just respect it. She's gone now, but she's just, she's going to do a lot of this action throughout, jumping on the keyboard throughout the uh, experience.
1: So you mentioned that uh, he, he took off with Shania's best friend. He did. Do you know who Shania married?
2: Of course I do. Do you think I didn't watch the documentary, Gripped, Crypt. <laughs> she married the best friend's husband. It was a real-life wife swap. It's honestly not the first one I've heard of. I know of several people that this has happened to, like people's parents and stuff, that it just was very convenient when it came to, like, custody and Christmases. Well,
1: to fill you in a bit of the Earl family uh, story, my mom had an affair with my dad's best friend. And I reckon my dad was thinking, "Oh well, this might happen here." No, it did not. Didn't happen. Yeah.
2: Oh, did you? Are they still together, your parents?
1: No, 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 no.
2: Oh my no. god! I was so stressed that we were going to break them up through your podcast or something. Like I was like, "Does the dad know?" No, of course he knows. No, He's after he, the best friend. Oh,
1: he knows. No, he wasn't really after. I just think he thought, "Oh, this could be convenient."
0: But no.
2: Well, I just think that's the very, like, divorced man laziness of, like, who is the next person I can immediately yep. be in a long-term relationship with so I don't have to think for myself.
1: But enough about Mutt. Let's talk about Brian. Uh, Brian Adams was a diplomat's son, travelled around the world. He bought his first real six-string from a five-and-dime. <laughs> that is true. But to be honest, he came from a bit of money. And Mm -hmm. his parents saved up for him to go to college and he didn't use that money. Instead, he bought a grand piano with it. And he was like, music is my passion. That's what I want to do.
2: Can you remember off the top of your head, a really piano led (laughs) Brian Adams song that would warrant complete spending a a college education budget on a grand?
1: I don't know, but look, look, the investment it's proved to be very good. He sold over 70 million uh, albums.
2: He's a photographer now, isn't he, Josh?
1: Very good photographer. He took uh, the cover of Amy Winehouse's album, uh, her posthumous album, uh, called Lioness, yeah. Hidden Treasures. He took the photo there. And when she was um, trying to detox, he, he invited her to stay at his house, which he did for two months. And he, she said it was great for her. She was actually clean because he had no alcohol in the house at all, just yeah. beetroot juice and carrot juice. That's all he had in the fridge.
2: I mean, I... Ha- I don't really watch that many reality shows anymore, but I would 100% have watched a reality show of Brian Adams and Amy Winehouse, <laughs> like house sharing together. Yeah. Be what, was so her, good. what was her partner's name? Blake.
1: Blake, that's right. Civil
2: Fielder. Yeah. I wonder this he, is, he, is he still alive? God knows. God what, knows. What is there any justice? Business? No, I'm sure uh, I'm, I, I wish him the best. I hope he gets clean. He
1: also, uh, Brian Adams took a photo of the queen, which was used, the photo was used for a stamp in Canada.
2: He's lived a life. He has lived a, a rich and varied life, but that song sucks.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on then. Now, we've talked about, a, we talked about a song, Naked and Sacred, with Mike Goldstein a few weeks ago. This is the follow-up. Is it any better than that song? This is the Phillips part of the Wilson Phillips. This is China Phillips, daughter of the Mamas and the Puppas, wife of Billy Baldwin. Here we go. Her song, I live for you. You
0: touch my head. I live for you because you're.
1: A big game at the top saying this is a great album
2: two songs in it's you have to understand if you didn't have side a and side b and you were listening to it in its entirety like you might you it, it would have so much goodwill that you wouldn't skip through maybe even those two yeah. you'd maybe even just leave them but right now starting from the beginning it does feel quite bad i mean it's not like they always said china phillips the voice of wilson phillips yeah. you know like it's pretty flaccid at one point i felt like i could hear her like doing that p- into the mic thing
1: well I think this is a better song than naked and sacred
2: I can't even remember naked and sacred but I remember the kind of like like she's been hypnotized by someone that's kidnapped her and she's like you touch my hand I reach for you like it's there's something kind of very monotonous and like mantra like about it and not in a healthy dynamic
1: well it peaked at number nine here didn't chart at all in the states it Sometimes used...
2: we do, we do charity like that. Like when we got Gwyneth Paltrow, her only global number one. Yeah.
1: And Huey Lewis. That was, oh, that's yeah. why. But it was used over the end credits of the film Striptease with Demi Moore. Do you remember mm. that movie? There was Strip I, tease I, I, and Showgirls around the same time. Mm. And one yeah. was kind of like a comedy and didn't take itself seriously. And the other one took itself very seriously.
2: I don't, I think one has ended up getting an audience and one has not yeah. 100% stood the test time. I can't say that I've actually watched either of them. They're a, a gaping hole in my pop culture knowledge, sure. but I can't envision this being played over the credits, but sure, if you tell me it did, it did. And
1: because of that, it was in the charts here in Australia for 26 weeks, half a year, Jess. Half a year Australians were buying this single from their local brushes.
2: It doesn't make... Any sense at all. If I have a sanity voucher, but I go and I do something like that, like it doesn't make any sense to me. But, um, you know, people like certain things. Maybe she had some leftover goodwill from um, Wilson Phillips.
1: Yeah, I think that's what it was. Also, it was written by a man called Desmond Childs who Mm. has quite a list of hits. So he wrote Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer and Bad Medicine, Alice Cooper's Poison, Michael Bolton's How Can We Be Lovers,
2: Oh, I mean, that's fucking great. <laughs> oh Ricky Martin's
1: Livin' La Vida Loca, She Bangs and Cup of Life. Mm-hmm. And the big one, Cisco's The Thong Song.
2: I mean, he's rich as. So rich. Look, this this song feels like something he phoned in on the day. Do you know what I mean? Like a couple of program bits. There's not too much effort going in. She's relieved that she's not having to hit any straining notes. Like that's a good day in the office for China Phillips. Yeah. And the end result is this, and then apparently Australians just to some kind of act of charity just en masse kept buying it.
1: Naked and Sacred was written by a songwriting team too who had written songs for Madonna and Cyndi Lauper. Mm-hmm. And they absolutely phoned that one in too. I reckon she had a big, big budget, and everyone's like going, How good's this? Fucking and realizing the other good writers are like going, I can just phone this one in, they'll pick up the slack. No yeah. one's picking up the slack.
2: No, no one picked it up. And also, like, because she was kind of like the hottie in Wilson Phillips. Yeah. It's really easy. Like, you know, there were some good voices, and I'm speaking specifically about um Carney Wilson. There were some good, strong voices in Wilson Phillips. I guess if you're like the skinny blonde in the background, you can kind of get away with an okay voice, but harder when there's no one else there to make it sound good.
1: Yep. All right, move on. She doesn't need us. Let's move on. Oh, probably the greatest theme song of a '90s show. We're going to listen to this is Bodines and their song, which was used for the start of Party Five. Closer. To free. Uh. young Scott Wolf, young Lev Campbell
0: I was hot for him as a kid Okay. That's all what's
2: know. what's concerning about that, and it says something about the era because you know it had another strong comp- competitor in the Rembrandts. Is that that song oh. makes me want to dance in a fountain like Ross yes. when I hear it too? I'm
1: just compelled. Well, that's what I want to talk. We'll talk about them in a minute, but I do think okay, because I've got it. I've got it here. I've got that right there. That was the next thing in my playlist. It reminds me as well. Is this up there as one of the greatest theme songs from the '90s? Just that big Alright mm-hmm. And then there's also this
0: So open up your morning light <gasps> a So this is from Dawson's Creek Oh I know
1: Just telling the listener
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Alright And then another one from a 90s show Which I think Every time I hear it, I think of the show, which is a testament to how good the show is. This is from Freaks and Geeks, which came out in 99. This is Joan Jett and Bad Reputation. Oh, it's got a dumb start now. Just get to the good bit. Here we go. Anyway, so... I'd say they're the four. They're the Mount Rushmore of ninety songs uh, on theme songs, on, mm-hmm. theme, on TV themes. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I think what's weird, though, I mean, probably the Dawson's Creek theme seems, it seems a bit wet to me now. And, and actually, Dawson's Creek was a bit wet, if you get my vibe. Yeah. I did see, I feel like when Dawson's Creek came out in Australia, the promos had actually Kiss Me. By sixpence, none the richer on yeah. it, and that's a song I really associate with it. And I found that in the ABC library yesterday, filed under sixpence, none the wiser. So <laughs> whoever's responsible for that, <laughs> um, but yeah, and I feel like I feel like the friends theme expresses the exuberance of the show. I feel like Party of Five was pretty fucking miserable. Yeah, it was. So so that song is very misleading if you're kind of enjoying and yeah, not good.
1: Well, for those who don't know, Party of Five, it was around a family. Um, and Salinger's. The, the Salinger Salingers, family. And their parents just died in a car accident from a drunk driver. No. The oh irony is that they owned a bar or a restaurant. Oh. And the oldest brother, I think his name was Charlie. He had to he look was? after. He had to look after. it. That was played by Matthew Fox, who went on to do Lost. And he himself was a bit selfish. He was on a gap year from uh, college trying to find himself, and then he had to be the legal guardian for his four siblings. Was oh, it no. Yeah, four siblings, yeah. yeah. So there was Scott Wolfe and Matthew mm-hmm. Fox. Bailey. Bailey. Yep. There was uh, Nev Campbell. Julia. Yes. There was the younger one who played the violin and lived in a tent in a room.
2: Lacey Shabert playing the role of Claudia.
1: There you go. And then there was the baby who was played by a bunch of different people.
2: <laughs> no one, yeah, not invested yep. in the baby at all.
1: And then season two, Jennifer Love Hewitt came on. As uh, was it Scott Wolf's girlfriend, on again, off again, and this is what I found out. There was a there was a very short lived spin off series called Time of Your Life that followed the Jennifer Love Hewitt character, moving from I think they were in they were set in like uh, San Diego, California. No, she mo- moved to New- she moved to New York to try and find her adoptive parents or her mum, and okay. Jennifer Garner was in it. So Jennifer Love Hewitt and Jennifer Garner, two of the freshest skinned people in Hollywood.
2: Two powerful Jennifers, particularly at that time.
1: Yep. But anyway, Bo Deens. Started in Milwaukee in 1977. Uh, Kurt Newman, Sam Lannis, clearly influenced by the same scene that produced The Violent Femmes, that kind of guitar, punk, just have three members in the band. In 87, Rolling Stone readers named them the best new band in America. They toured around the country with U2. Uh, they had their album produced by Jerry Harrison, who's in my favourite band of all time, The Modern Lovers. He was also in The Talking Heads. Mm. Never really had their their big hit, their big mainstream hit, until this song, Close to Free, came out. And even then it wasn't that big a hit.
2: It's crazy. And yet, you know, they're probably still dining out on it. I just remember that when I used to hear as I slowly dipped a toe in the queer lady scene and people would talk about Closer to Fine and what an important song that was. And I kept all I ever heard in my head was the Bodines' Closer to Free, but they were talking about the Indigo Girls' Closer to Fine. But in my head, whenever I go like, yeah, it is I guess an iconic lesbian song (laughs) in whatever way you want. All
1: right. Also, the two members of uh, the Bodines don't talk anymore. Mm-hmm. But we won't go into that. Alright, moving on. Oh, a big song. Go big on. song of the year. Her debut song from her debut album, The Burdens of Being Upright. This is Tracy Bonham and her song Mother Mother. yes
2: i'm just having did you so
1: listen to this tired. as a
2: teenager yes and you know that like as a teenage girl that was teaching herself guitar did i have a crack at that descending kind of bar thing of course i did i hadn't been that excited since i heard diana nades i go off i'm <laughs> Diana <laughs> kidding but can, I, some... Arne,
1: can i say is uh palindrome
2: did you know that is it? Yeah,
1: that's where the name comes from.
2: I wish it just made it sound better though. Yeah. <laughs> like it didn't, it didn't stand the test of time either, did it? But you know what? There's some things from the '90s that I go, God, we just loved it, didn't we? We yeah. just loved it. We loved Tracy Bonham screaming about her mum, yep. And like we loved like a bit of soft acoustic and then angry, angry, angry. Like we yes. loved gentle hard that kind of combo. Well, that, enough. That
1: was the Nirvana theory. Soft loud, soft loud.
2: Mm. And I yeah. nailed it. But Tracy Bonham, you know, she's good. She actually has a, oh, there's another song. Not to sound like the gayest woman alive, but I'm sure she had it on an L word soundtrack. Tracy Bonham had another song. I'm
1: sure song. if she's not on the L word soundtrack, there's something yeah. wrong with the people who put that together. So this yeah. was number five in Australia, charted highest in Australia. We loved it. Got to 34 in the Hot 100 that year. It ranked one higher than Killing Me Soft, Softly by the Fugees, which I don't think has that hasn't aged well. And one lower than California Love by Tupac, so some good songs mm. in that little bracket. Uh, it's this... like it's not a bad time to
2: have been a teenager for us, Josh.
1: It's pretty good, isn't it? Coming into this bit, yeah, yeah. It was, it was we we're getting out of the uh, the Diesel days. So we're going into yeah. this. Uh, this topped the Billboard Modern Rock charts and was the last woman to do so until 2013, when Lord went to number one with Royals. So there you go, 17 years it took for another woman solo. you think Alanis mm. Morissette would have done it, but no.
2: Alanis would have done it before, before this, this because Jag, Jagged Little Pill is a 95 album and all of her hits were like around 96. Yeah. If Tracy Bonham, if she, if someone did it before Tracy Bonham, this is, if this is 97. Is this album 97? 96. Ooh, it's close. I feel like it's close. Yeah. But maybe Alanis had already like. That her album was probably still in the charts, but maybe her singles are out of it because otherwise, it just seems really poor and confusing form to me.
1: Mm. Anyway, so a lot of people thought this was like a a very angry song, but this is what Bonham uh, said about it. Uh, She said it was just about her being a people pleaser, calling home, making poor life choices, but not wanting to disappoint her mum, and pretended everything was fine when they're on the phone. And the it's not angry. It's not angry. I hate you, mum, which people thought it was. It's a hey, mum, life is hard. Yeah. And she said her mum was very accepting of the song, liked it. But the screaming bit uh, actually played its toll on Tracy Bonham. And when she was doing uh, tour dates, she had to cancel a whole bunch of dates because she did her nodules, some screaming. Had to go back and learn how to scream properly.
2: She did a Cosima DeVito.
1: Oh, I was talking about that the other day at work. People didn't even know about the nodules, the Cosima DeVito nodules.
2: I mean, terrible, a terrible state of affairs. I was actually quite happy, but I imagine if you were a Cosmo fan, you would have been gutted that she had to leave Australia because of bad nodules. But learning how to scream, I have a friend that's a singer and I was telling her how much I enjoy singing Cold Chisel in the car and I was saying how I'd really underrated as a kid where I was like, Jimmy Barnes just screams how incredible it is to scream in tune. Yeah. And she taught me like the technique of like how to scream, from the, like get it to the top of your head and where you have to have your head in order to hit those notes. So I'm imagining Tracy Bonham went to the school of Barnsey and just had to learn how to belt it out.
1: The school of Barnsley. Great. All right. Moving on. Hey, we talked about them the other week and then they appeared in my life as they, I work on the project and they came on the project as guests. So that was a good day. I had to write questions for them. It took me all of two minutes, Jess, because I just had all the research from the last episode. <laughs> this is Everclear and their song, Heart Spark Dollar Sign. <laughs> i oh. There we go. That's all we can play.
0: I
2: have to tell you, Josh, I was already thinking to myself, I feel like a lot of my memory of certain albums is based on the TV commercial for the album that would just pay tiny snippets. So when yeah. I see the words "Heart's Buck dollar sign, I can't sing, sing it to you except to go heart spark dollar sign, yeah. how the song finishes out, right? That was so like,
1: I, big black boots and my old suitcase. That's all I can sing of that song as well.
2: <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. So when it started, I was like, oh, yeah, I wouldn't pick this in a lineup. But, like, it's a bop. And then it gets to the point I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Why does this make me feel weird? It's like, well, I, I mean, it's good that the song ended up solving racial tension in America. So there is yeah. power in music.
1: Well, that we didn't need the Pepsi commercial with uh, Kylie Jenner. We didn't need it. We had this song. <laughs> we should have just played this. So this is, it is the true story, actually of art when he was a teenager, he had a a girlfriend who was black and the the Mm. relationship lasted three weeks because his mum and the girl's mum did not approve of the interracial dating. It's hard. Yeah. In the song though, it's only his mum that doesn't approve. Yeah. Yeah. Even though he has later gone on to say that his mum, she approved, but she knew her family wouldn't approve. So, Contact racism. We yeah, all think, know it. I think he's trying to, yeah, let's just let the world know his mum's not a racist. But uh, you know, come on, st- stand for your son. How old uh, was he? When,
2: how old was he when this stuff came well, out? Like, it. are you still writing things in your thirties about when you were thirteen and dated a black girl for three weeks because you have no content?
1: Yeah, because he was he was thirty when Everclear started. Okay, oh, I was yeah. joking. No, he was, and so this is written when he was like a teenager. But this was written for his original, like he was in a band before. Uh, Everclear. Everclear was kind mm. of like his last kind of like, if this band doesn't go, I'm just going to stop trying to be a rock star and go behind the scenes and write songs for people. Uh, so he was in a band called Colorblind, no Colorfinger. And this song was originally called Colorblind when it was, uh, a Colorfinger song, We reckon Colorfinger as a band name. I don't like it. <laughs> they could have supported powder Finger. Just the fingers. Yeah. Finger, yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Uh, it got to 58 in the highest 100 it was between Tumbleweeds Silver Lizard and Rebecca Empire so rude oh, oh. two two good songs yeah. and uh we Australia just loved everclear we, we did do. love them
2: we still but do I really I so because I' people have been going to the shows that have been recently touring and so I was like the other day I was like oh what everclear like would I enjoy it so I'll give Santa Monica I'll, I'll give that a little bit of everything but for me the thing that i remember is playing in my first band in a garage at like age 16 is figuring out local god from yeah. romeo and juliet soundtrack oh, i mean that soundtrack is flawless but that is a great song by everclear on it it is a really good that
1: that whole album that's i was talking when this when this podcast finishes when we finish all of the 100% hits i think i'll do soundtrack albums mm. and romeo and juliet has to be one of them because that album was it's so flawless. well, also just very influential in terms of like everyone who I knew had a copy of it.
2: Mm. Well, it yeah. was great. I mean, remember the Radiohead song? Dun, 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 dun. I want to do 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 do. So
1: talk show host. Yeah, that was called yeah. Well, you know so they. So good. You know they wrote exit music for a film for Romeo and Juliet, and then went. This is too good. We're going to keep this and not give it to them. And then talk show host was the replacement song.
2: I got to tell you, talk show host is pretty
1: good. It's a good so, song. Exit music um, for a film is a very, very good song, though.
2: Loveful, the cardigans. That is a great. That is a great idea. And I figure you've still got some it's coming 100% up next hits. week.
1: Loveful, Loveful,
2: Is it? Well, I'm I, gonna I'm gonna do the soundtrack podcast before you get to. Mm, right. Idiot, should not have mentioned it.
1: And the sunscreen song that was. Oh yeah, a, another ama- yeah, a, another amazing song that our next song has some similarities to. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back.
0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mm -hmm.
1: And we're back. All right. This is a a song that very much I remember from my rage watching mornings, getting up and hoping this song was going to be played. Mm -hmm. And it was, especially around this time. This is NADA Surf and their song, Popular.
0: There comes a time life, she's really to ask yourself, to ask yourself, steady, wanna be Three important rules for breaking up. Don't put off breaking up when you know you want to. Belonging the situation only makes it worse. Tell them honestly, simply, kindly, but firmly. Don't make a big production. Don't make up a elaborate story. This will help you avoid a big tear-jerking scene. If you want to date other people, say so. Be prepared for the boy to feel hurt and rejected. Even if you've gone together for only a short time and haven't been too serious, there's still a feeling of rejection when someone says she prefers the company of others to your exclusive company. But if you're honest and direct and avoid making a flowery emotional speech when you break the news, the boy will respect you for your frankness and honestly the kind of straightforward manner in which you told him your decision Unless he's a real jerk or a crybaby You're made friends class.
1: -hmm. On that
2: side, Uh, I just flashed back to probably being in my room, meant to be doing a homework, taping Triple J. Uh, It wouldn't have been the Net Fifty; it just would have been the Triple J Request Fest, I reckon. Yeah, and picking some greats where I thought like all bands that were played on it were just massive, like driving around in in. So I remember there was a song by Mola, Melbourne band Mola, that I was like clearly millionaires. Do you know what I mean?
1: Like Mola were the first. Proper band I ever saw live. They were supporting Custard at the Uni Bar in Launceston. Oh,
2: I mean, we're just saying so much about our age. <laughs> Back yeah. I was listening to Custard earlier today, oh my god, I love it. Um, for, for
1: our younger listeners, uh, the dad from Bluey had a had a band.
2: And can I tell you, he was like a real teen hero to me when I was growing up, and I learned how to play all these songs. And then the world, the universe led to me being friends with someone that played a gig with him up in Sydney and I got to go and then we were all backstage and he was being so lovely and then he was like, oh, you liked custard. like," And he just, the fantasy that when you're learning these songs in your bedroom that you think you hope will happen and he hands the guitar and he's like, why you play one? Like with this real warmth, which is, it's honestly the most cooked thing to do and I, I, I was too cool enough to know to not do it. Yeah. But also so charmed by the dad from bluey lovely dave mccormack that i was like fuck it i will so i played like pack your suitcases i wanna fly and he sang a lot he was so lovely and we we we, we're only socials friends now but he would come down and he'd do stuff in melbourne on my radio show he's literally the nicest man alive was he in the band nada surf he was not so we should probably do a hard pivot but dad from bluey five stars great human being
1: So NADA Surf, originally called Helicopter, changed their name to NADA Surf, which means they said surfing on nothing. It's like just mental surfing. That's what they said. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after a blonde redhead show at the Knitting Factory in New York, uh, they met Cars frontman and Weezer producer Rick Osseset. No one.
2: You're never allowed to say it out loud. You can just read it in liner notes. That's the key. You've made a huge mistake.
1: They gave him him their demo. It was called Tafkans. And thinking, oh, nothing's going to happen here, but why not? I'm, I'm face-to-face with Rick. I might as well do something. Like, I'm not mm. going to be his mate. I might as well, you know, try. Anyway, three weeks later, Rick called them back and he said, I want to produce this album. And then they signed a contract with Electra Records. Mm. And this was the first single from it. Uh, the album was called High Slash Low. And... The spoken words bit is from a book called Penny's Guide to Teenage Charm and Popularity by an American actress called Gloria Winters, who was in a TV show called Sky High in the 50s. And so she wrote a book on how to be a a young woman. Uh, It got to number 11 on the Billboard Modern Rock charts, this song. Number 63 in the Billboard Top 100. It was a big hit in Iceland, topping the charts for two weeks. Big in France, got number 10. 250,000 sales, also got top 40 in New Zealand and Sweden and Belgium. The film clip is directed by Lemonheads member Jesse Peretz. This song got to 48 in the hottest 100 here in Australia. And one in front of a song we talked about a few weeks ago called uh, Pass the Vibes" by Definition of Sound and one behind Hail Hail by Pearl Jam. It's the band's signature song, but guess what? None of their other songs sound like this, Jess. And so no. if fans of the band go and see them, they're in two camps. They either really want to hear this song or they don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So boys in nada Surf, play it as your encore. Let the people who don't want to, don't want to hear it go home early. That, Ye- they, can, they can get to the merch stand first and let Ye- the people who really want to hear it stay around a bit longer and they'll hear their song.
2: He is a solutions man, Josh Earl. He offers up a problem, but, but immediately a quick fix to it. Um, they did the, they had a song on the, they did the Buffy theme. or they had a song on the Buffy soundtrack.
1: The Buffy theme was by a band called Nerf Herder.
2: Oh, I always get them confused. God, there were some shit band names in the nineties.
1: So many bad band names. So bad. Most band names are bad though. If you break Mm. them down. Um, anyway, Hey, we're going to move on. Someone. We're going from popular to someone who was hugely popular in the year of
2: 1996. Who's it going to be? This is
1: full name Jewel Kilcher. We know her as Jewel. And this is her song, Who Will Save Your Soul. And just listen out. She really sings this song with her whole mouth.
0: People living their lives for you on to. i so Another doctor's bill, a lawyer's bill, another cute cheap thrill. You know, you love him if you put him in your will, but. Music is
2: powerful. I'm just cringing because I I feel like this era is exactly when I was teaching myself guitar. And did I learn how to play You Who Will Save Your Soul by Jewel Kilcher and bang it out at school lunchtimes? I fucking yep. did, Josh Earl. And did I? I don't know if I nailed that. Yeah. Like the bit where she just swallows her own voice. The
1: Eddie Vedder oh. of, the, of the vocals there. Amazing. So Jewel, raised in Alaska. Her dad is one of the stars of the Discovery Channel show Alaska, The Last Frontier, and the pair of them do the theme song. He was, he was a yodeler as well.
0: Mm.
1: So she grew up there, moved uh, to Michigan on a, on a scholarship, a music scholarship. Then when she finished that, she moved to San Diego and she was living in her car and playing cafes. That's the big story that w- mm. went around. She was living in the back of her V-dub. She was discovered uh, by a woman who, at the time, was the vice president of production at Paramount. Her name is Inga Van Stein, and she she saw her play at this cafe and called up her boss and said, "You need to sign and pay for her demo." And Inga became her manager and set up a bidding war amongst other labels. Okay, so the album that this is from, "Pieces of You," came out in '95. It was recorded at Neil Young's ranch and has members of Neil Young's band on the record. They're playing there, and it came out and nothing. It was not, was not popular, Jess, which is not how I remember it. But then 16 months after it was first released, they edited this song. They cut a verse out, made it a nice four minute radio staple, and it was huge blew up and the album eventually went 12 times platinum in America. And this is also the first song she ever wrote.
2: I mean, yeah, (laughs) look, there's a lot to say about Jewel. I mean, we were just, it was a crazy time. I thought, I thought here's someone that understands all of our feelings as a young girl. Like I went to the, I went and saw Jewel in concert, probably in like 98, 99, second album. I mean, that's commitment. My hands are smaller. Like, and I tracked down a few years ago as a bit of a joke, we found a PDF copy of her poetry book, A Night Without Armour. And no one was saying no to Jewel, and they yep. probably should have. Um, I well, feel like well, listeners,
1: if you want to come to the live show on April fourth at Max Watts at eleven thirty, we'll be reading pieces from the Jewel uh, poetry book because she's got a song on the best of ninety seven.
2: Holy dully. Well, that, I'm lucky I did a Ford announce. That's the yeah. radio professional in me. It'll be good. Um, yeah, nuts, nuts. I just Jewel was a very big part of that like late 90s teenage girl feelings period of my life. But I do re-listen to it and I go a bit cringe, but yeah, but but I I still support her. I hope she's happy.
1: Well, Larry Flick from Billboard, he this is what he said of the song when it first came out. He said, the song's a charmer. He said, amid a spare setting of strumming guitars, twinkling piano lines, and playful percussion, she comes off a tad like Joan Osborne, but with less earthy <laughs> grit and more girlish glee.
2: Wow. I mean that's a big that's a very period centric reference. But I get it. I'm yeah. like, I like Joan's mainstream one. I liked the follow-up single, St. Teresa, which was also a bit of a banger.
1: Jules also a bit of an actor as well. She was in Angley's uh Film Ride with the Devil, which came out in 1999. And she says she asked him why she got cast. She's an inexperienced actress, as other people who went for it. And this is what he told her. He said, You've got period teeth. So she got the job because she was the <laughs> she own, one did. of the only women in Hollywood who didn't get her teeth fixed. That's got a sting.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she did, though, bless her heart. But she yeah. seems very authentic and. You know, she did her thing, and I think she pivoted a bit to like a bit more poppier sounds in later stuff. But I wish her well. I feel like there's a jewel song, and I can't tell you what it is. But I feel like if I went through her first two albums, I'd find one that I'd go like, I reckon I I still stand by that one. Yeah. A, a couple of the others, I'm like, a bit of breathy affectation with this one. But I, I, I again, I wish I have no, nothing bad to say about her as a person. Wish her well.
1: Come along, April 4, you'll see Geraldine Quinn tackle a Jewel song. It's going to be very good. And Geraldine very good. hates Jewel, so that's going to be fun. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Oh, we've talked about it before. It's the three sisters and their one conspiracy theorist brother. This is from Ireland, The Cause, and the titular track from their album, Forgiven, Not Forgotten. <laughs> One-eyed furry Something toy
0: Jess. Hurt. What is
1: the one-eyed furry toy that lies on the bed?
2: I've repressed that until that as that lyric was happening and you and I made eye contact <laughs> and I'm like, it can't be good. What is the one-eyed furry
0: toy?
1: Maybe this is what they're trying to her forget. Here we go. <laughs> her
0: forgotten. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Anyway, it's a boring song.
2: It's so bad, isn't it? It's yeah. so, And I actually remember hating it at the time. It sounded really sneery and shit. Um, I like the one that's like Runaway. That's a that's a tapping our yeah. little Irish drum violin bop, but this We've, is
1: shit. Runaway's been on. We played that last time. Now, this one is was their second single, and it was released in Australia because we love the cause. Mm-hmm. Bigger in Australia. At the time, bigger than Australia than they were in Ireland, okay? We loved it, okay? We're so Island, weird. Ireland, it took a while for them to warm to the cause, and now they're absolutely on board with them. Mm. But in America, the label didn't even release this as a single. They just went uh, to the next one and went, nah, we're no, we're not having this one.
2: Usually when you have that anecdote about a song, it's where we go, wasn't, isn't that label embarrassed? But to be fair, I'm like, the label sounds like it had really good taste that day and was yeah. just like, well, this is a piece of steaming shite.
1: Well, this nice. got to fifteen in Australia, Canada. They also released it there. Thirty-one there in the UK. Only one hundred and fifty-five. Good.
2: In the I'm UK, so, I'm so mad at them for that. Yeah. What is the furry one-eyed toy that lies <laughs> upon the bed? It's, it's
1: cooked. Uh, all right. Moving on. Our last song. Our last song for the album.
2: Okay.
1: Our last song for 1996 before we move into 97. This is. This is a band that. My old flatmate Dion McCall loved either loved the band or loved just mentioning them because they got a dumb name. This is Geguitar and their song "Whoever You Are," and I'm gonna I'm gonna go through it half to about thirty seconds into it because it's it's a long no, it's a long intro. Radio LA, oh. New
2: York, because we're broadcasting live and we want to hear all of y'all. Your... <laughs> I'm a one-woman gay guitar fan club. I played this the other day on the radio. That's oh, really? how I'm Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have had a soft spot for this song quite consistently and I think I rediscovered it a few years ago. Yeah. And because I have the ability now where I work to raid the Triple G <laughs> database, I was like, well, that's getting dragged over and getting a play, and it did. Love well, it.
1: Gegi the band is Tommy Jordan and Greg Kirsten. Now the name is from each of them had younger sisters who, when they were little, couldn't say their names. So Geggy and Tar for Tom. Gegi Tar. Okay. They were signed to Luaka Pop Records, which is David Byrne's label, and David Byrne huge fan of them. Loved it. Right.
2: So I've, me and David Byrne have impeccable taste.
1: Yes. You love bicycles. You love big suits. You love Gegi Tar. <laughs> I
2: do
0: uh, actually. <laughs>
1: Got to 41 on the Hot 100 in Australia. We, we liked it. Now, Greg Kirsten, the mm. Geggy part, quite the career in music. He's won nine Grammys. He's had four number one hits. He wrote and produced Easy On Me by Adele as well as Hello. Here, <sighs> along with Anara George, was the band The Bird and the Bee, which for a brief time in 2004 were the, the hot, hip indie band.
2: From Geggy fucking Tar. Why are you? You keep saying this like it's a negative thing. Geggy Tar was adorable. One hit wonder. Geggy. How do you have bitterness towards Geggy Tar? It reminds me too much of Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh No. uh Oh, no. The Chili Peppers would be too busy rapping about his dick if he was doing the Chili Peppers at that time. No. No. It's just sweet. In 2006, he co-wrote every
1: song on Lily Allen's second album, It's Not Me, It's You. In 2012, he wrote Kelly Clarkson's number one song "Stronger." In 2014, he co-wrote and produced Sears' "Chandelier." He's also written songs for Beck. He wrote "Dreams," the, the the last good Beck song. Paul McCartney, he's written for him. Liam Gallagher, he
2: wrote "Wall of Glass," which was. I was going to <laughs> was gonna say Paul McCartney. I'm like, I don't know if he, if he needs the help, and then he said Liam Gallagher. I'm like, he probably needed the help. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and he wrote for the Foo Fighters as well.
2: None of this is a prize to me because, I mean, I have a soft spot for gay guitar, but I also had kept an eye on you that his career, like, I mean, I don't love easy on me. I prefer Adele when she's kind of like an angry ex, not like a depressed, depressed divorcee, but that's a lifestyle choice. But he is very similar in the sense to Greg Alexander, who people would know from New Radicals that you will probably get to in a couple of years, Who yeah. whose last-ditch kind of effort was you only get what you give, but from that forward this incredible songwriting career, made heaps of money writing for like Ronan Keating and all these other people. So yeah. I put him and Greg Kirsten in kind of the same basket.
1: Greg Alexander bagged out Beck, said he was a rich kid from a, Go Back to Your Mansions. Mm. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't like yeah. it. Well, that's Greg Kirsten. Tommy Jordan,
0: when Mm, you type Tommy
1: Jordan, doesn't have a hyperlink on Wikipedia. You have to go digging deep. Mm. Now, unfortunately, I I so wish this was the the same guy, but it's not. But when you type Tommy Jordan, the first thing that comes in is, remember a few years ago, there was a dad that went viral because he shot his uh, daughter's laptop because she was working, she was on the laptop too much. I don't, but it sounds yeah.
2: horrifying. He,
1: his name is Tommy Jordan, and he's like this kind of—he's got his own YouTube channel, and he start the intro, introduction video is—you probably remember me from the the dad who shot his uh, daughter's laptop. Well, I'm more than that, and he yeah. talks about how he he loves guns, he loves the right, he loves the good old U.S. of A.
2: It's and, so uh, weird how yeah. how he's not embarrassed about shooting his daughter's laptop, but he's embarrassed about mentioning Gaghi Tar. Like, what's going on there?
1: Not, not Geeky guitar. I'm so annoyed. I'm joking, I'm but, joking. But Tommy Jordan played steel drums on Jack Johnson's 2002 album. That's oh, the last thank thing, God. That's the last thing I could find of Tommy Jordan.
2: Oh, so. well, I I still remember them fondly from Bubbly Toes. So thanks for your hard work there, Tommy Jordan. Have a rest for 21 years. All right, so that is
1: that is the end. That is the end of volume 21. I think, good album, let's see how many hits we have on there. So let's go through it one more time, Jess. Mm -hmm. So we start off with, the only thing that looks good on me is you. Is that a hit?
2: In the world, probably. For me, no. I wouldn't voluntarily put it on. Not a hit, no.
1: I Live For You by China Phillips.
2: I think we know,
1: no. Closer To Free by Bodines.
2: I think we have to say yes. That's
1: a hit. Mother Mother, Tracy Bottom. Yes. Heart Spark Dollar Sign, Everclear.
2: Oh, I mean, we know it solved all the racial tensions in the U.S. So, yes. yeah, fantastic.
1: Popular, nada surf.
0: Mm,
2: Yada yeah, surf.
1: <laughs> Who will save your soul? By Jewel.
2: Uh I mean, I I cringe a little bit, but I think I have to say hit.
1: Okay, forgiven, not forgotten. Oh, fuck off. Let's forget it. And yeah. whoever you are, gay guitar
2: <laughs> I think I've made my position <laughs> very, very clear. We have six
1: songs. Now, that's pretty much standard for the podcast, but I must say the highs on this one are a lot higher. The lows,
2: not as low. No. I think it's like if if you were to put sides one and two together, I honestly think the goodwill of the whole album would make you even just go, China Phillips is okay. Do you know what I mean? It's fine. You know, it's only because we, we just we had the choice to say it's fucked. Yeah. We're fine.
1: Yep. Thank you, Jess, so much for this. Now, you're, you're currently on radio.
2: Yeah, thanks, Josh. The Western Plains, ABC Western Plains. It's so good, man. It's such. I, I always wondered if I'd ever be able to do a radio show where I could play cool new stuff, but also old bangers that yeah. made that I really enjoyed, like Phil Collins' "Invisible Touch." Unsurprisingly, they were not that keen on that at Triple R. I have found a radio station where they're like, "Yes, please play a good, cool new song," and yes, you should absolutely follow it up with like Paul Simon's, like whatever you like. It's so fun. And then the interviews are really interesting. Like I guess being out in um, regional Australia means kind of see the impacts of stuff like climate change, of social inequality. We're talking to MP. Like it's super interesting and anyone can listen to it. My friends in Melbourne have been listening to it and they send me videos of, of their kids dancing around to the music and they're like, You know, we go in, we say, play ABC Western Plains and the radio plays. And they're like, we don't get the Melbourne weather. But to be honest, the weather's never right. So we're not missing out. And we're kind of invested in rodeos. We we have windows. You can look out and go, oh, yeah, it's sunny. It's fine. I mean, as far as Melbourne goes, that's the best that you're going to get. So uh, please have a listen. It's super fun, 6.30 to 10. But thank you because I really did, I feel like being on Josh's wonderful podcast, uh, greased some wheels. Hopefully one
1: day it works for me too.
2: Yeah, come over, come and join me. (laughs) You actually, I should say, by the way, like it's not like I like left Melbourne. I didn't scurry a few friends in my pocket. I I do a segment. Josh Josh is our music uh, segment presenter, so he is on every Thursday, every second Thursday. Um, so today, which was not today, which is last week, so he will be on next week. I don't know dates. What is time? Nobody knows post pandemic.
1: Who knows? Hey, uh, speaking of time and dates, I have some uh, some shows to plug. So. Doing the podcast, Don't You Know How I Am in the Comedy Festival every Saturday in April. Make sure you get a ticket. Tickets are moving pretty good. So uh, get in, especially if you want to get the uh, the season pass, which is only 50 bucks for all four shows. Plus the big uh, shows at Max Watts, which is for the festival club, which is best of the best of 97, which is April 4. And then Don't You Know How I Am with all international guests on April 18, tickets at thecomedyfestival.com.au. Hey, thanks, Jess. This has been fun. I'll see you next thanks, time.
2: Josh. Nice to see you face, bud.
1: Bye.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the
0: price tag. Say hello to Quince.